Well, um, we'll just know that this one, my audio quality might not be as good as y'all's, but it's a problem that will resolve itself before the next episode. So. I think I think she sounds good, right? She sounds good though, right, Dylan? I think you sound great. I think you sound like you're recording it from 2003. Oh, well, well perfect. That's, that's part of the nostalgia is our audio is going to sound not great. California. Keeping up with the Coens, an OC box set rewatch podcast. Hello and welcome to uh, Keeping Up with the Coens, bitch, an OC rewatch podcast. Coming to you uh, from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the real OC. Uh, my name is Ryan Drake. I am joined by my forever cohorts. We have to my left in the box on my screen, Chelsea Trinidad from Tulsa, Oklahoma. How are you, Chelsea? This was your idea to do this. What's up, you guys? It's like, it's kind of a funny origin story. It was literally, it started just as a tweet. I thought it would be hilarious to tweet to the world. Uh, what do you guys think if, about me and Ryan Drake starting an o- OC podcast? Mm-hmm. You had no idea was coming. It was just something that I thought would be uh, hilarious and get, get a reaction out of people. And uh, our good buddy Dylan kind of chimed in and we were like, holy crap, A, this is a wonderful idea in real life. B, can't do it without our boy Dylan. Yeah, this could have been. Uh, this could have just been me and Chelsea, just just riffing, just talking shop, just talking bait shop. Uh, but then we had to get third wheeled by <laughs> by the Oliver Trask to our Ryan and Marissa, Dylan Irwin, also what from Oklahoma Dylan? City. You gotta at least give me enough credit. I'm at least the Anna to your Seth and Summer. But you know, it's funny wow. that Chelsea says that she put out the call on Twitter, and that's the start of this because that's actually the precise way that I became friends with my wife. And so if this podcast is half as successful as my marriage, I think that we're on track to become the next insert name of popular podcast here. But thank you all for letting me third wheel. Um, You know, they always say that without three wheels, it wouldn't be a tricycle. And so I can't wait to OC what we're going to do. To be frank. (gasps) They do always say that. That's my favorite quote about tricycles. Yeah. It's a Sandy Cohen quote. I'm pretty sure. Think of us as the thruple of teen dramas. I'm here for it. This is what we're going to do. We decided to do this in a not episodic, in a not like episode by episode way, because that would take us literally seven years to finish the series, I think. Since this is episode one, we're going to dive deep into the episode, into the pilot episode, because it is such an iconic moment of our, of our lives and of pop culture and of teen dramas. Uh, And we'll be back next week and we'll do episodes two, three, and four, and we'll be off to the races from there. I have a question for everyone. Like, obviously Mm -hmm. we like the OC. Everyone likes the OC for different reasons. I was not cool enough to actually start watching it immediately when it aired. I picked up on it halfway through. No, I I can't remember which episode because I think it's in the second season. I picked up around the time that Marissa started going through her phase at the bait shop with- um, Her phase, that could have been anything. Oh yeah, geez. Her, her, Olivia, her Olivia Wilde phase at the bait shop. So whenever that was going on, that's when I started watching it on the DVD box set. But So that's kind of my intro to the OC was through these box sets. So this means a lot to me. But I mean, Chelsea, how did you get into the OC? Okay, so I'm a sophomore when this comes out. Some of the kids, some of the lucky few kids get this box set for Christmas. And naturally them and all their friends start binging it. 
Well, I lent my box set to a friend who lent it to another friend, and I believe it just got passed around the school somehow. You know, kind of like the town pony. <laughs> Anyways, I get a phone call from a mystery number. I answer it on my uh, flip phone, on my razor, probably. I answer it. It is none other than the most popular guy at Jinx High School. I am floored. My heart is pumping. This is my moment. What's his name? I'm Say his name. Oh, I will fucking say his name, and it'll actually be really funny. Um, because you know him from law school, Dylan, or you know his older brother. Oh crap! Now I don't remember. It was Rob Redwine's older brother, whatever that guy's name was. <laughs> those re those red wine boys. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was into it. I was like, oh my god, this is like a really cool senior, and he's calling me right now, and he said something along the lines of like, hey Chelsea. Uh, I have your OC disc seven and I wanted to return it to you. My heart is pumping. I am like, this is my moment. Like it, it was my Cinderella story. I was like, he's going to return it to me. He's going to see me. He has no idea who I am. He's going to fall in love. This is going to be my moment. I'm going to be the prom queen. It is here. Now, none of those things ended up happening, but it was a really nice fantasy for a little while and I'm here for it. So I actually have a question for you. This will probably come up a couple of times um, just because I'm, I'm kind of bitter about it. But I didn't go to a cool, super fancy high school um, like uh, like Chelsea did. Chelsea went to the kind of high school that would constantly beat my high school in football. But what what we lacked in skill, we made up for in heart. I was more of a save the last dance kind of high school, and she was more like a Newport Harbor. But I mean, what was it like consuming the OC basically at Newport Harbor High School? You know, it, it was kind of crazy because the things that they talked about that were super outlandish, um, you know, ponies, yachts, pool houses. I mean, those are things that a lot of the people I went to school with had. So it, I felt like the yeah, OC Pool houses made, in Oklahoma? Uh, oh, you, 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 you got to hang out in some of the Jinx neighborhoods. It's pretty crazy. But, um, you know, a lot of it, they make it to be escapism. They made it to feel like, you know, a different world that you were entering. But it was really crazy kind of going to the harbor of uh, Tulsa. Ryan, I kind of have the same question for you. What's your intro to the Orange County? Just real quick, I was a huge, huge fan of Dead Cat for Cutie. Uh, That's like my favorite band in high school. And someone had told me, like, there's the, and I'm also Jewish. <laughs> and someone had told me there's this show where this kid, there's a Jewish kid who loves Death Cab. And I was mad about it. I was like, what the fuck? And they were like, yeah, there's this, there's a kid and he like likes Death Cab and he's Jewish. And I was like, that's, that's unfair. That should be me. And then I watched the show and I was like, okay, I get it. And then I really liked the show after that. Uh, but yeah, it was really the Death Cab thing that did it for me. That made me because I, I was I I thought Death Cab was like my band. I didn't know anyone even anyone else had even heard of them. So to know that they were on like the biggest television show in the world at the time was kind of like a, a mind blowing thing for me. So what you're hearing is that your hosts approached the OC through boys, through peer pressure, and through their faith in Yahweh. And I think that that <laughs> is a tale as old as time. And I want to start talking about this show. Do you guys want yes. to start talking about it? Let's do Let's it. Let's talk about the show. So we're doing uh, episode one, the pilot episode. What day did it premiere? So it premiered on August 5th, 2003 to 7.5 million viewers. And this was written by the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Schwartz. So Josh was one of the creators of the show. And if you were ever you know, an X-Files fan growing up, you knew that when like the creator, when Chris Carter wrote an episode, it was going to be a good one. And I think, 
I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction here. The same can be said for the OC. So right out of the gate, we have 7.5 million people watching this Josh Schwartz pinned episode. But 7.5 million is a ton, by the way, especially in 2020 audience numbers. Yeah. The pilot episode was 45 minutes and four seconds. And something that I'm keeping track of is how much screen time Sandy Cohen has on the screen time slash he's in the scene. So he may not be on screen, but he's in the scene. Uh, Sandy Cohen is featured in 14 minutes and 47 seconds of this pilot episode. What percentage is that? And for, it needs to be a lot. For, so with the first episode, I feel like he's featured a lot because he is kind of like the thing, the glue that holds it all together. Uh, obviously, we love Sandy. That's why we're doing this. I have a theory that Sandy's not in the show as much as we remember him being in the show. And that once we get into the later seasons, we'll realize he's only in the episodes for like five minutes. Um, but for the first episode, it's like 15 minutes, which is about a third of the episode. Yeah. Well, what's important is that his scenes aren't filler at all. Let's get into it. Let's do a, we're going to, we're going to group recap this one. I feel like um, it starts with uh, Ryan Atwood, Ryan Atwood and his brother, Trey, not the Trey we would later come to know. I have no idea who this man is to play Trey, but he has an eyebrow piercing. That means he's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Ryan and Trey steal a car question mark. I wrote question mark because Trey definitely steals the car but I'm very confused about what Ryan does here. Like, does he do anything wrong to get, does he do anything that's like worth getting arrested? Because I feel like he just kind of was like with his brother while his brother stole the car. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, from a legal perspective, I think that he could be charged as an accomplice, but um, the the real interesting thing that you bring up is so uh, first of all, my first note was new Trey because that, that really startled me. Trey, as you all probably already know, comes to be a fairly prominent character. Um, and, but this guy, he broke the law so hard, he actually completely changed his appearance. So that's a lesson that you should always obey the law. But the thing that blew my mind is that apparently for possession of a firearm, Grand Theft Auto, and having priors, he only got three to five years. I guess specifically under Oklahoma sentencing standards, that's insane that he only got three to five years. I'm not sure. Was if he, he was still charged. a minor? Do we know if he was still a minor though? So we don't know for sure because Sandy had said that I think it's almost like Ryan was with the younger minors and then Trey was with the older minors. But even then I feel like three to five years for GTA and possession of a firearm with priors. I mean, Possession of a firearm with priors, I'm pretty sure would be an automatic felony conviction or automatic felony charge. So all I'm going to say is we really need to take a look at the Orange County justice system if we're looking to remodel our own. You have to remember it's also 2003 when this happened, so things were different. Yeah, right. years, different. years didn't last as long. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's no inflation when it comes to year sentenced. Um, that's why I wrote crime vibes, because up to this point, it very much feels like not the OC. It feels like a crime show or like a law and order. Yeah, and fun fact, uh, I read in the lovely IMDb that there were actually reports from tons of people that had turned on the show after watching the trailer and were really confused. They thought they were watching SVU or something like that. So we get to, uh, I guess we're in like the juvie hall at this point. Uh, it's Ryan and Sandy. They meet each other. Uh, it's our first introduction to our Lord and Savior, Sandy Cohen. Um, we didn't realize at the time we never realized how much he was going to play a part in our lives but uh there he is they talk about trey's sentence and what he's got going on like you said dylan he's going to jail ryan hits him with this bizarre monologue 
about modern medicine and retirement that I was just still, even as I rewatched it today, I was like, this is a weird thing for Ryan to say. So I listened, so I listened to this podcast uh, called With Gorley and Rust, and it goes through all of these really terrible slasher franchises. And in every single episode, they talk about, okay, well, what was the, the monologue that all the actors had to come in and screen test with? And I got to ask, do you think that Ryan's spiel on the rapidly, you know, rapid medical advancements and all this, could that have been Ben McKenzie's like, audition monologue? I mean, the way he acted, the way he overacted could seem like it's, it's got to be either that or where he meets Marissa for the first time. And I know we ha- all have thoughts about that and we'll get to that because he overacted the hell out of that as well. Uh, I bet it was one of those. Yeah, I think that that scene was very important because immediately they needed to give you a reason to root for Ryan. Um, they wanted to establish him as he's living under these shitty circumstances, but he's a very intelligent, thoughtful kid. But the first thing it hits you with is Sandy goes, holy crap, your test scores are through the roof. And he has this kind of existential monologue that he delivers. So I think that it immediately tells you why Sandy felt a connection to this kid as opposed to anyone else. Sandy is a public defender. He meets kids like this on a daily basis. Why this kid? It made me not like Ryan. It made me feel like he likes he's smarter than everybody really yeah. oh I my god like, this okay. kid's too smug well. he's too smug too full of himself thinks he knows everything before i make this remark i want to make sure that we did not touch on the fact that this was exposition city i do have a uh, notes about exposition but not yet would you explain what do you mean okay so so the one thing that i couldn't help but notice during sandy's interview you know where he's meeting ryan ryan gives his monologue but then sandy cohen it seems like i always call him sandy cohen i never just call him sandy because a man of that stature deserves a full name of that stature but so sandy cohen pulls out his his i guess his client folder and therein is all the exposition you need to know about ryan atwood you're a troubled kid you have a crazy Mm. past you know you seems like you got to focus more but i mean look at your test scores your test scores, Ryan, they're great. And so, the, I mean, the, the question is, is that, I hate exposition usually, but I feel like that's the best use of exposition ever. I didn't even realize that that's literally what they were doing. That was a really good use. You're right. I did Because I, t- I do have notes about different times where I feel like they're going into exposition and I didn't have it there. So they really got me. I feel like Ryan, I wrote Sopranos body language for Ryan. I felt like he was very much just like leaning in close <laughs> and like even doing like the, the neck thing. Like, listen, I know more than you. He clearly doesn't know more than him. Uh, they get him out. Don, his mom, Don Atwood shows up. I wrote in her best drunk driving attire, um, which was like a hoodie with like a bra underneath it, I think, with like the hoodie slipped down <laughs> over her shoulders. No, the bra strap is hanging off. So you yeah. know she's stressed. That's right. She shows up. She's yelling. She's yelling at Ryan. She's yelling at Sandy. Sandy knows something's up. So he gives Ryan his card, which would be very important in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Smash cut to Ryan's house. The only time we ever see Ryan's house in like the, the environment that he lives in. Uh, We see Ryan with AJ, the boyfriend, (laughs) underrated, underrated character question mark. I want to know more about AJ. I want to know what makes him tick. I want to know if maybe in the early, early days of the show, whenever Trey was not in prison and getting in trouble, maybe when he picked up those other priors, maybe he was, AJ was trying to be a father figure and he's just tired of failing over and over again. And maybe he had just had it whenever Ryan finally came home. And maybe that's the real drama of the OC is children's failure to listen to their parents. Are you victim blaming so, you know right what? now? I am, t- I am team AJ is what I am. <laughs> 
AJ needed his own spinoff show or at least an episode. I agree. We at least deserve some, like a flashback maybe. That would have been nice. I, I wish, you know, we'll, we'll get into Ryan's other childhood friends in episodes to come. But it would have been nice to see a little bit about his upbringing. Shout out to Teresa. She looks like she's 40 years old from the get from the jump. Okay. Oh, uh, payphone. I wrote payphones. People. Remember payphones? Because that's where Ryan goes next. After he gets punched in the face by AJ. He gets thrown out of his own house? Question mark uh by his mom uh he hits the streets he's hitting his friends up on the payphone 1-800-COLLECT and uh trying to find a place to to crash as he says and then we're finally we're finally for the first time ever we're hit with the uh theme song california by phantom planet oh yeah i'm getting chills just thinking about it and i would say that moment in this episode is the Soundtrack shout out of the episode. We have our first segment. Yeah, no, that was such a good. How do you guys both have horns? (laughs) I don't have one. Uh, Yeah, I agree. That is the most iconic musical moment of this episode. We are introduced. A lot of people for the first time were introduced to the song. Um, I am a huge fan of Planet fan. I feel like they're a very underrated band. I feel like all their last three albums were all very good. Um, They reunited. Did you know they reunited last year and they played Tulsa as one of their very first shows at the Hanson Beer Festival. And I went to that show and they brought Darren Chris out to sing with him, by the way. I have videos of it. Yes. (laughs) It was a pretty epic weekend. Yeah, shout out to Hanson. We love Hanson. We love Hanson. I mean, like, that's one of those weekends where just crazy things happen. Um, You know, it's kind of like whenever you go to a wedding reception and, like, strange combinations of people hook up. Like, that is Hanson (laughs) weekend in Tulsa. That's exactly what it's like. It is like like Leap Day. It is Leap Day, but, like, we get it every single year in the form of Hanson Day, so. Who is your favorite Hanson? Who's your favorite Hanson brother? I got to ask. As a Tulsa person, who's your favorite Hanson brother? One of them is QAnon now. No. Yeah, I know. I think Zach is QAnon. Yeah, I saw that. What? I don't want to say that. That might not be true. If it's untrue, I'm sorry, Zach. I'm mistaking you with one of your brothers. I feel like Isaac is the most QAnon potential one. See, I don't know, because Isaac, when he was growing up, he was, like, not so foxy, and now he's by far the most handsome one. I he still has that sweet that goatee, the, 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 the John Travolta swordfish goatee. Good look on him. He pulls it off. Um, so yeah, I guess moving through the episode and one of the biggest points that we want to talk about. So obviously Sandy, he, um, picks Brian up after we hear California for the first time. Ryan punched a payphone, by the way. Oh, so how many things has Ryan punched at this point? Is it just two? Wait, can I, can we rewind by the way? I forgot about a note that I had at the very top when the, the police are chasing them, like chasing them for stealing a car and like run them off the road and into a wall. That also seems excessive. How many stars did they have? Great point about stars. That's the, uh, that's like not, that's the second GTA reference we're going to get from this episode. All right. (laughs) Sorry. I just think that was crazy that he like just got into a car with his brother. Next thing you know, the cop like shoves, like like runs him off the road into a wall, which is, I guess, kind of some foreshadowing for what happens to Marissa. It escalated very quickly. It got dark. It escalated. All right. Sorry. Before we move too far. No, it's all, no, it's all good. That's see, this is important stuff. But there is one thing that's equally as important, if not the most important thing in the entire show uh, that I want to talk about before we move on to the drive from Chino to Newport. And that is right when the music crescendos of the Phantom Planet theme song, we see Tate Donovan's name come up (laughs) in the cast. 
right as it crescendos. It says, and Tate Donovan. Guys, here's the thing. I'm all about Tate Donovan. A lot of you don't realize this, but he is America's golden boy with his coy smile, his weird, maybe smoker's teeth. But most importantly, you all probably recognize him as being the voice of Disney's Hercules. And all I'm going to say is I will go the distance for you, Tate Donovan. So I just wanted to bring that up. I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew how important it was that even Phantom Planet, when they were writing that song before the show even came out, and whenever the editors for the OC, they, everyone was on the same wavelength. They were like, when are we going to crescendo this thing? We're going to do it when Tate's name comes up. So that's all I wanted to say. By the way, that song was written not for the OC. I know. Okay. Uh, that's why it's so much better. But also, when we refer to Jimmy Cooper, we will just call him Tate. I noticed in both of our notes, we just wrote Tate instead Tate. of Jimmy. Yeah, t- it's Tate. It's Tate. Tate's great. Tate is great. All right, uh, go ahead, Chelsea. I'm sorry we interrupted. Oh, no worries at all. So I guess moving on, Sandy picks Ryan up, takes him to his home, his palatial Mm -hmm. home right off the coast of the Pacific Ocean. It's gorgeous. I mean, immediately you see such a contrast from where Ryan grew up to the main setting of the entire show. Now, Sandy uh, perp walks Ryan into the house, basically. And obviously his wife, Kirsten, <laughs> not real happy about it. No, he it. left him in the car because right, he's like, it's not as fun when the keys are in it. And that's when I was like, that's what I really questioned. Does Ryan even know how to steal a car? Like, I don't think he knows how to steal a car. No, definitely not. He's never hotwired anything in his life. By the way, for those of you who are listening outside of Oklahoma, we measure everything in time not in distance. And so I began to ask myself, how far is Chino from Newport? And well, that's easy. If you take the 57 South, it's only a 47 minute drive. Okay. So um, as Sandy is in the house talking his reluctant wife into why he should let some random teenager stay with him. I think she even uses the words, he's not a lost puppy. Yeah. We're going to get into this. So at the end of the episode, I feel like I'm more team Kirsten than I am team Sandy, honestly. You, you have a damn point. But now comes one of the most perplexing exchanges in the entire series, and it is when Ryan meets Marissa for the first time. <laughs> okay, wait. Before we get there, I have a question for you because I know, we, I know we've talked about this before, Chelsea. This is our first introduction to Kirsten Cohen. How old do we think Kirsten is in this moment? I were just watching this, and I had no context, and I were just to guess how old she was based upon the age of her um, children and uh, age of her husband and age of development in her life, you know, having that palatial mansion, I would guess that she was 40, 41, maybe 39. Wow. I would have gone so, I would have. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think Kirsten, I've always thought Kirsten is a very, very, very attractive woman. But she also always, to me, she always just seemed like mid 40s, maybe late 40s to me. But as we would later find out when we get to season three and she has her 40th birthday in season three, we're led to believe, I guess, that she's 37 in this episode. Was it a 40th birthday or was it like a 40th birthday? Because here's the thing that we need to consider is, you know, she has Sandy Cohen. She has Seth and Seth is of a certain age, but they make a big deal out of the fact that she dated Jimmy and like she was close with Jimmy for a while and she could be ageless. I mean, with the advances in medicine, you know, people are living to be 100 now, and that means they have to stay in their jobs until they're 80. So who knows? <laughs> I was going to say, this feels like this has a weird Ryan monologue vibes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, huh, that sounds familiar. What? All right. So Sandy's inside talking to Kirsten about Ryan. 
Ryan decides to leave the car, go to the end of the street and smoke a cigarette. And it is in that moment when he meets one Marissa Cooper. Mm-hmm. So elephant in the room. Yes. This is a weird scene. It is a very weird scene. Ryan is completely out of character. We, the Ryan that we have grown to love over the course of the hundred or so episodes that there are, Ryan is a very kind of introverted, um, thoughtful kind of, uh, I don't know. He's a man of few words, but they are not braggadocious. They are not overly macho. Um, and the conversation he has with Marissa is just strange. So I'll let you guys give your takes, but then um, I I have two theories on what could have happened there and why he's so strangely out of character on in, in that moment. I feel like it's very overacted, but I just feel like at the time, that's what they thought the character was going to be. I mean, this was a pilot episode. They didn't really know exactly what was going to happen as they fleshed it out. Um, and I do feel like Ryan, I do feel like Ben McKenzie as a young actor probably saw the script and was like, I know how I need to play this. And uh, just completely did a weird, really weird read of like, seriously, I stole a car. I crashed it. My brother went to jail. He had a gun. And it's like, okay, dude, that's super weird. Uh, I wrote in my notes, he has no game at all. He doesn't look good in this scene. Like his, he's like the wife beater and the leather jacket. Um, but I do give him props for doing the like light her cigarette with your cigarette. I feel like that's a power move and I, and I respect that. They call it a Chino kiss. <laughs> this scene still is what I think about like most. Whenever people mention the OC, I mean, I think about all of the wonderful memories and all of the compelling stories, but mostly I think about, I stole a car, I crashed it. And it's just like, it, it is the, the, the most creepy and just like unnerving introduction. And the thing that makes me the most mad is he, he never answers the question. I don't think anywhere in that scene does he say, oh, I'm Ryan. Does he, I noticed that a lot. Am I mistaken? The, when Summer and Ryan also, when they first meet and they first have their one-on-one, they, she doesn't introduce herself to him at all. They probably just didn't say anything because they know that they each got the script and so they should know already, but that's neither here nor there. The thing that upset me most about this scene though is these kids are smoking. Okay. Yeah. They're 16 years old and the legal smoking age is 18 in California. So who's buying the cigarettes for this? It's 21 now in Oklahoma, by the way. It's 21 now? I believe so. Sorry, guys. I will say, if you're upset about them smoking, just wait until you see what they <laughs> just do. Just wait until you see oh, the no. cocaine that they do. Um, oh, no. I thought it was baking soda. Ryan never smokes again after this episode, though. He smokes twice in this episode, but never again, right? Do you know why he doesn't? Because Sandy Cohen says, there's no smoking in this house. That's right. <laughs> okay. So you guys got to hear this. So the two, the, I think there's two things going on that could be happening. Either one, they hadn't fully fleshed out his character yet. They thought he might be more of a braggadocious, rebellious, in your face kind of guy. The other theory that actually my husband thought of was to show that Ryan being put in a better environment, being put with uh, Sandy and Kirsten in a good school he matured a lot as a person he grew a lot as a person and suddenly that kind of strange talk to women and that kind of strange braggadocious i'm a rebel i steal cars attitude just completely fled him once he was in a more that's loving a good take that's a good take also that could have easily been just like the first scene that could have been the first scene they ever shot of this entire series and that's just what they thought the show was going to be at the time i'm glad it wasn't can we talk about luke before we go away from this how do we feel about luke initially 
Luke's truck and music is all I wrote because it's big and all parts of it are just too much. That's exactly, I think, what needs to be said about yeah, Luke. Too much. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't dislike Luke. And I do. there are parts of this show when we get into episodes like three and four where I'm like, Luke's kind of right, but uh, not a great intro for Luke. Bad intro for Luke, but Luke ends up being one of my favorite characters of the entire series. He has a very round, rounded storyline. He's a very dynamic character. We'll get into that more later. But So Ryan goes to bed. The next morning, he gets introduced to Seth. Chelsea... As a woman, how did you feel experiencing Seth Cohen for the first time? So I, I've always thought that Seth wasn't really a believable nerd. I mean, he's so cute. And even by that, that's something I think about a lot. Did girls of that era gravitate towards um, like pop culture savvy, um, kind of witty guys who like to wear graphic tees? Dylan and I can both vouch for that. The answer is no, they did not. <laughs> So, so y'all would have peaked had you done high school like three years after. Yes. Then yeah, I, uh, I, was, I was friends with a lot of people. And <laughs> I will say that I was always the second runner up uh, for many a dance and, uh, and, a, and, and I almost said date party, but no, we're going further back. But, um, but no, I, I, I really feel like at least in 2003, a lot of the girls that I was hanging out with would go for more of the Luke because Luke was kind of like the Abercrombie and Fitch model. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like a, you date a Luke, but you marry a Seth, but no one was interested in getting married, you know, freshman year of high school or however old they are. Um, Not that I resent anything, but I, uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter how much you knew about pop culture. I, uh, I, I was very disappointed to learn that. Now I just have all this knowledge that I have no idea what to do with, but start a podcast. There you go. I agree completely with everything Dylan said. Are you guys Seinfeld fans? Yes, absolutely. The only show I I like better than the OC. So like, you know, there's that whole story about how George Costanza is basically Larry David. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons why George has some of the most memorable, craziest stuff because Larry was pretty much just getting to write himself. So I read... And by say, I, when I say red, I mean like in one of those teen magazines back when the OC was airing that Josh Schwartz was asked like which character he related the most to. And he said Seth Cohen. So I'm convinced that's why Seth gets a lot of the good lines and gets a lot of the good arcs. It's the same reason why Tyrion Lannister gets all the good lines in the Game of Thrones books because George R. R. Martin's like, I'm going to go ahead. That's going to be me in the book. And so... I always feel like there, there are a couple times when they kind of start to even it out, but I almost feel like Seth is being written on a higher level than all the other characters. Like he's almost like our, our Greek chorus who's above the drama, but still in the drama. So I kind of, I agree with that later on as the series continues. I feel like this episode in the first couple episodes, Seth is, I wrote turned up to 11 because he's like too awkward and too nervous and too nerdy. To the point that like he can't even like look at Summer. And I even wrote that he's like creepy at some points. Like he's just weird. He eventually they write him to be a much more like fun, funny, sarcastic, not as weird person, you know? But like for this episode in particular, I was like, this dude is not cool at all. The last kind of thing I want to talk about when it comes to Seth and Ryan's introduction um is so I don't know if you all know this about our little group, but you know. Ryan is pretty famous on Twitter 
and Chelsea is pretty famous on uh, TikTok, and I'm pretty famous <laughs> in my own household. But I will tell you <laughs> that Ryan and Seth are drinking ocean spray on the summer breeze when they're yachting 17 years before TikTok. Yep. And so, hey, Gen Z, we did it first and we did it better. I literally had the exact same note. It's weird that they went sailing, first of all, after just meeting each other. It's even weirder that they're drinking like oh, like ocean spray cranberry juice on the boat. On on the gram, we're we're gonna I'm gonna make a TikTok of this with dreams playing in the background. They were the original curator of vibe. That's right. <laughs> Uh, yes. they, this is where we find out about Summer. We learn about Summer. Seth named his boat after Summer, uh, but, but they've never met before. And the dialogue here is weird. It sounds like it was recorded in post or something. Like It sounds like they are not on the water at all. It sounds like they are standing two feet away from each other. Um, oh, that's where I wrote about exposition because there's a quote where they're like, oh, Summer might be at this party. And Seth goes, well, she is Marissa's best friend. And I was like, that's some expert level exposition right there. <laughs> Uh, we see Marissa looking at them. This is very confusing to me. Marissa watching them walk up from the ocean on some dirt road that I nev- you never see again. First of all, I like any shot that gives me more than just what I assume are just soundstage shots. I like to get a little bit more of the 360 view of what exactly I'm working with in a neighborhood. So I really appreciated that shot. Um, also, it makes me wonder, like, I don't know maybe we're led to believe that Marissa is starting to have feelings for this stranger, you know, after, uh, after one meeting. Hey, Hey, all I'm going to say, speaking of after one meeting, do you know who we meet for the first time shortly after this scene? I'll give you a hint. It's bad in the house. It's bad boy. American heartthrob voice of Hercules. Tate Donovan. I would let him mismanage my finances seven days a week, baby. And you know what? Every scene he is in is solid gold. If he could take his scenes and somehow monetize them, he would never be in any financial trouble whatsoever. Greg would not be all over him at Cotillion, which we'll get into later. Oof, but all yeah. I'm going to say is this, 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 this shot, it was, like, it was like a solve. You know, I'm still burned from watching Ryan just be on the wrong side of the tracks, be thrown around, be in a crash, but then Tate Donovan comes in, and that's all that I need. But... um. But that's all I have to say. Whenever Tate Donovan shows up, I'm going to go on a little tiny rant. It's fine. But I'll try it's and Tate keep talk. it minimum. Talking Tate. Tate talk. Talking uh, we Tate. See, we, get, we see Tate. Marissa's there. She's letting some agents into the house. Like some, some uh, whatever. They're investigating him for fraud, apparently. Doesn't matter. We see Tate. We love Tate. Uh, I love that he uses the word. He uses the, 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 the phrase, don't worry about it. It's just a thing with the client as an excuse because I use that as an excuse all the time for all, a lot of things. We see Ryan not being able to tie a tie because they have apparently decided to go to Marissa's fashion show, which just kind of came up out of nowhere. More exposition. There is, this episode moves so fast. And I think I, I put that note. It's just like, th- I, I don't know what timestamp we're at at this point, but like we've already had this, been introduced to this kid, had this kid be adopted into a family pretty much and all of a sudden he's wearing another man's clothes and going to a fashion show and also as a sandy cohen fan i feel like you'll appreciate this i have a theory that you can read into sandy cohen's speeches like you could read into the poetry of william shakespeare like he says the skinny side has to be shorter than the fat side how much shorter it changes from tie to tie sometimes it's just a mystery Here's the real question. Is he talking about the tie or is he talking about life? Wow. 
Wow. Diving deep. Indeed. Sandy wisdom. Dropping knowledge bombs. Yeah. Uh, I wrote that I also cannot tie a tie. I'm 33 and I still can't really tie a tie. I'm not very good. It takes me a lot of tries. So I, I sympathize with Ryan in this, in this situation. It would have been a good moment for a bolo tie. I'm thinking. It's always Whoa, a good moment for Ryan a and a bolo tie is would have won your fashion award for the entire season, I think. That would have been incredible. Yeah. Before we breeze on by the um the episode where the SEC comes and visits Tate is I want to stop for a moment and highlight Marissa's outfit. She is wearing a, a very scooped Henley that comes up very high uh, on either side. She's wearing a pair of capris and she's wearing a pair of slip-on vans. Slip on checkered vans. I wrote the exact same notes in all caps. I wrote low rise capris on Marissa plus van slip ons. Okay, bitch. That outfit was not made for girls with any kind of curves. If you have a hint of a love handle, you cannot wear that outfit. I think I had that outfit. Dylan also has no curves, so that makes sense. <laughs> I have like handles. <laughs> More cushion for pushing. Heck yeah. I don't uh, need no belt. So it is interesting because I feel like Marissa really embodied uh, some of that aughts fashion that we think of, uh, you know, some of the the terrible (laughs) aughts fashion. Um, I feel like I dressed a lot more similarly to Rachel Bilson. Rachel Bilson was very petite. You did not see Rachel Bilson going around in low, low cut, uh, you know, capri pants with kind of cropped Henleys, you know, that just would not have flattered her petite frame. It did not flatter mine and i have congratulations to marissa for having that perfect body type just like paris hilton that was able to get away with shit like that are you prepared to give this your fashion moment of the episode award i'm thinking yes okay there we go congratulations congratulations to marissa cooper it's also a good time to shout out the instagram account outfits of the oc it's worth a follow and you will see me constantly posting it into my story. There was a great post of Marissa wearing the uh, slouchy hat and the Shrek vest um, a couple weeks ago that I really loved. I see that outfit yes. and I say, I don't want to get out of your swamp. <laughs> I'm not a good fashion person. This is why Chelsea does fashion and I just do Tate Donovan. But um, speaking of fashion... Yes. Oh, we're moving on. To the, I thought you were going to do something. Okay. Uh, yes. Oh, speaking no, of I, fashion, I'm out we... of bits. We press forward to the Cooper's home where we, uh, we see Tate. We meet Julie Cooper, I believe, for the first time. And we see Caitlin, who is then played by Shailene Woodley. Interesting. Shout out to her. Wait, what? Yeah. I was too taken aback by the it's too Avril Lavigne line that I didn't even realize that was Shailene Woodley. A lot happens in this scene. We see Tate in a bow tie. I wrote that down. They go to the, what I, I, I guess this is like the, pre-game before the fashion show it seems like it and for some reason in my head canon that's in the cohen's backyard but i know it's not it looks exactly like the cohen's backyard um we know that the caterer who offers them something at the very when they first walk in there's a caterer we know that he is the same caterer in the series finale that eventually sells them back their old home Oh, you mean at 19 minutes and 43 seconds when he walks in and says, Mushroom Leek Crescent, Crab and Brie Philo? Yes. He's my favorite character in the entire episode, so much (laughs) so that I wrote that entire line down and I wrote in all caps, working it. I love love extras like that, or just just extras or, or small actors in small roles in shows who just come in, they have their one line, and they just kill it, and then they walk off. He ultimately becomes one of the most important characters in the, in the series because he sells them back their old house in Berkeley. 
I wonder though, do do is he playing the same character? Because he reprises his waiter role a couple times throughout the series. I believe in the finale, series finale, he is playing the same character. That's why they brought him back, I think. Love that. Love that journey for him. I want to know, have you have either of you ever had a mushroom link crescent or a crab and brie filo? Specifically, I'm Chelsea, probably asking, of the three of us, Chelsea's Chelsea? the one that seems Chelsea? most likely. Well, as, as a uh, purveyor of uh, fine foods, I can tell you that you're not supposed to mix seafood and cheese. So whoever made that crap refilo, get out of town, bro. Wow. Take that. You just got, you just got jinxed. <laughs> uh, we get a okay. montage of everyone knowing who Ryan kind of is. Boston, Seattle, Canada. Like, I don't know where. The, there's a lot of gossip happening in this world, apparently. Uh, Ryan goes to the bar, orders a seven and seven, which I've never had in my life. What is it? I don't know. Chelsea, what's a seven and seven? <laughs> a seven and seven? Uh, that would be, uh, th- that's whiskey. I forgot what the, the seven for the whiskey. You guys know that. You're boys. You guys are straight boys. I thought, straight it, was, boys it, I thought it was seven up, seven up and Seagram seven. Is that not what it is? Yeah, it is. A seven up and Seagram seven. That's what it was. I don't know. I refer to whiskey as, um, as brown thing straight boys drink. Wow. You mean like coffee? <laughs> i'm gonna edit that oh, out okay man. moving on <laughs> okay how about how do we feel about luke right out of the gate with a homoerotic slur that's my next that's my next uh, my next note it was so weird that seth is standing there by himself gives luke this is what i'm saying by seth's turned up to 11 i don't agree with luke in this situation but it's just so he's so weird to just kind of awkwardly look at him and go like hey luke I'm like, that's really, really weird for Seth. But then for Luke to come back with a, uh, by calling him like a homophobic word was very, very uncool, Luke. And again, light spoilers here, but you know, we have a plot coming up where we find out about Luke's dad um, being gay. And it makes me wonder if they put all of this, like, cause this isn't the first time Luke drops something like this. He does it like in almost every episode. Mm-hmm. I think there's at one point in the fourth episode though, where he says something super progressive, which we'll get to in that episode, but it makes <laughs> me wonder wait, if they're wait, planting can I ask these. You, can I ask you, is it when he goes, well, he was born that way. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I, the same so, thing. I saw the same thing. Yeah. He goes, cause he goes like, I w- you know, he sees Ryan and Marissa together. He's like, well, I wouldn't be so worried if Atwood wasn't gay, but that's fine. He was born that way. And I'm yes. just like, oh what a weird way to be progressive. I thought the Luke. exact Y'all, Lady same Gaga, thing. Lady Gaga watched that episode and she was like, bitch, I can write a song about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's a great point about Luke's, the, the Luke dad connection. And like, I didn't even put that together. That It's like, maybe he's like over, over correcting. It's like, it's like they're, tur- they're, they're making Luke like the Kylo Ren of the first season of the OC where they make him just so bad and so evil, killing his parents, being terrible, just so his redemption arc is all the sweeter. And I, I, I really do like his redemption arc. Uh, we get introduced, I believe we get introduced to Summer for the first time. It's the worst possible version of Summer. I think we all agree she sucks in these first couple episodes. She's just weird and drunk and horny. She is the one. So this fashion show happens. Um, oh, man. And that that in itself is a whole thing. Summer is a badass by uh, stealing two glasses of champagne, but she doesn't realize how much Marissa has escalated. Marissa appears and pulls an entire... Hand the vodka. vodka out of her, out of her designer purse. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't condone that type of behavior. I mean, we talk about zero 
from from zero to sixty and three point five, like I mean, going from a couple glasses of champagne to a handle of vodka, like you know, a little bit different of partying levels. Just gonna say that. Is Marissa at sixteen years old secretly a very good event MC because she nailed it? <laughs> I'd say yes. Very good MC, and even more than that, a question that I have is: She says every year we put on a fashion show, but sh- she's sixteen. How long has she been hosting this fashion show? So did this start, did this start, um, you know, a decade prior? Did this start two years ago? Is this just the second one? There's a lot of unanswered questions here. Uh, we were introduced to Peggy, one of my favorite characters. Peggy is the dress lady that looks like Rachel Maddow backstage at the fashion show. And the first episode <laughs> I wrote, who is Peggy? Or no, I wrote, who is this woman? She appears again in episode four as like the master of cotillion. That's where we learn her name is Peggy. Uh, the girls get drunk. Uh, Tate needs oxygen. Uh, Tate has an anxiety attack and cries in a bathroom stall, which Dylan and I both think is uh, relatable. So relatable. Who hasn't done that? This is where we catch wind that there's some some sort of like a bigger scandal than it's just a thing with the client is happening uh, with Tate. Ryan hears Tate crying in the bathroom, does nothing for him, which I respect. Uh, and then we're hit with the All-American Rejects swing, swing. How did you feel as an OSU grad hearing Stillwater's own All-American Rejects singing on the greatest teen soap opera to ever grace right, Well, for this, when, it, when it first aired, I watched the show in high school, so I was not yet going to OSU, but... Uh, I, I thought you were a- born that way. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. I uh, was. I, I remember. I was a huge fan of the Rejects. They are from Oklahoma. We love them, and to hear them on that show was pretty, pretty crazy. We love you, Tyson. If you're listening, as an emotional, um, you know, person who went through eighth grade, it was really, really a cool <laughs> thing to hear. <laughs> to hear the rejects on there, to hear Death Cab. I think all three of us have had quite a love affair with Death Cab. So that makes the show even more special to us than it already is. Um, there was a lot of dashboard confessional feature. There was a lot of Sufjan. Um, you know, that's something that made the show special. It made it stand out from its uh, industry peers, if you will. So they go to Holly's house for this beach party. Ryan convinces Seth to go by pretending that Summer wanted him to go and Seth somehow believes him. is like, yeah, okay, let's go to this party. Uh, and this party is out of control. This party is unlike anything I ever did at the age of 16. Whoa, there wasn't just like Coke hanging out at, at your parties in high school? Yeah, no, I was going to say, notably, we all wrote about like, oh, there's like cocaine and threesomes and liquor. But like, I was impressed that they had like five hookahs at this party. <laughs> My notes for this scene are literally... High school party, high school party, drugs, drinking, cheating, promiscuity. Uh, just to give you an idea, a high school party for me was going to a buddy's house out at Fort Sill on the military post and uh, doing a land party and all playing Halo 2. Hell yeah, um, And drinking Mountain Dews, uh, Code Red. The gulch. Yeah, that's the way you, that, that's the way you do it. A blood, blood gulch, yes. that's where boys became men. I know that you had a bar mitzvah, but you weren't a real man until you played Blood Gulch. No, Chelsea has no idea what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> XOXO, unbeatable combo. I'm here for we it. Are at, we're at this crazy high school party that would probably, do you think these parties existed for 16 year olds in, in California or anywhere for that matter? Did no. they exist in Jinx? No, absolutely not. And I feel like I hung out with a lot of different types of people and there was never anything even near this. And we actually had house like pool houses to throw parties in. But I mean, 
I feel like something real wild was like, oh my gosh, I got a, a keg. You know, I got a handle of disgusting Sailor Jerry's. Like there was not cocaine hanging out. I'm not here for the Sailor Jerry slander. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to be talking bad about hypnotic. <laughs> Dude, I- Is that the flu shit? Wait, Chelsea, when you were in high school, though, was Mal, because like for, for me and my friends, like Malibu, for some reason, was the drink of choice. We, that's what we drank for, because it was so easy to take down. I remember at one point, like, drinking a Dr. Pepper and me turning around to my friends and being like, the Malibu actually improves the taste of the Dr. Pepper. <laughs> that's a hell of a shout out to Malibu. I, need, I miss is. Malibu. I, mean, I might need to, next time we record, I'm going to have a Malibu drink with me. It was a superior product. In Lawton, we just drank furniture varnish. <laughs> uh, that gets the job done. And we licked it off the furniture. <laughs> okay, can we talk about this wonderful cut away from this sin and promiscuity to a wholesome shot of Tate Donovan with his dog, Dustin. Dustin yep. is, of course, a golden retriever because, again, Tate Donovan is America's treasure. And we get a little bit of backstory on Kirsten and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And I have this in my notes and this is something that I'm completely serious about. I want a prequel show about Jimmy and Kirsten back when they were dating, what kind of adventures they got into. But I want Tate uh, Donovan to play every role. <laughs> I don't think it's too much to ask because we have the technology. And, you know, with, with advances in medicine, people are living to be 100 now, which means they have to stay and work until they're 80. I've heard but, that. Um, I, I, just, I just really wanted to spend a little bit of time we can go back to the high school party now, but see, that was more my scene. Like when I, when I watch, especially when I was in high school and I watched that, that party stressed me out. Like, because there were so many chances to get things on my quote unquote permanent record um, that whenever it did the smash cut to Jimmy and Kirsten, just chilling, I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to hang out with, 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 with Tate Donovan and with Dustin. Um, but we can go back to the party now. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, Take talk. I believe we never see or hear from Dustin again. That's the only appearance of Dustin in the series, I believe. R.I.P. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chelsea? Oh, I guess it, it, that was an important scene just because it does give you some context, some history. You, you might think to yourself, that's a little bit weird for exes to live next door to each other. Gives you some insight on things to come. Uh, Seth fixes the keg. Seth gets worked up over Ryan and Summer talking. Summer's drunk. She's coming on to Ryan very hard. Uh, Seth lets it slip that he named his boat after Summer and she gets creeped out by that, which I kind of agree with Summer in that moment. Ryan thinks that, or Seth thinks that Ryan and Summer are like hooking up or something. I don't know. Seth overreacts in this scene because they're just like literally just standing there talking. But then he also gets very brave is what I wrote in all caps. Like out of nowhere, Seth just grows balls and like tells Ryan off, which I was very impressed by. My note, which makes no sense, says Seth only uses 10% of his power and throws Ryan against the wall. Yeah, true. I'm just going to say that this is also something that, that you already said, Ryan. I think Chelsea's already touched on. This is when I finally sat down and said, to be honest, I hate early season one summer. I, I, I really, like, she becomes my favorite character in the show. But right now, she's the worst. She's she the worst ever. Because this is where Seth finally says, like, why don't, why don't you go back to Chino? I bet there's a nice car in the parking lot you can steal. And Summer gets, we, hit, we get hit with the iconic line from Summer. Chino? Ew. 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 Yeah. It was Chino. Ew. Before it was, ew, go. David. <laughs> <laughs> The predecessor. 
I feel like Ryan, I wrote Ryan's way too embarrassed about the Chino thing, but then like he walks back into the party and suddenly everyone's just like gossiping to each other, like and, like whispering to each other and looking at him. So maybe he wasn't too embarrassed about that. Oh, I just that in itself was a little bit weird. I, I don't remember anyone necessarily making fun of people from where they were from. Yeah, that's a big, that's such a huge deal for this entire series of the fact that Ryan's from Chino, but like I've never like been like that worked up over a, where a, a place where someone's from, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. That's a very jinx thing to say. Well, I've just known some, some very ruthless people, but no one was ever, it was never like, you're from this place. Like, I mean, people could clown you on a million other things or way more low-hanging fruit. So I'm just saying that was kind of a dumb thing to like hang your hat on. Moving to when Seth is just walking on the beach. For some reason, I guess he has his blood up from pushing Ryan that he decides he wants to go and walk where all the water polo guys are. <laughs> And this, this is also the first time where we meet one of my other favorite characters, uh, which is Jacked Harry Shirt Open Luke. Yes, separate character from regular Luke. Yeah, there's, there's Luke with his slicked back hair, and then there's Luke with his disheveled hair and his 16-year-old Jacked Harry body, which I'm convinced, like, okay, so when I watched that show when I was apparently younger than these people, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's believable. But now like watching this in my 30s, I'm like, how did anyone ever believe that these people were anywhere close to 15 and 16? It gave me body image issues. If that guy's 16 and he can be a jacked hairy guy and I'm just like a weird, you know, skinny hairy guy, I, there's no hope for me. I agree, there is no hope for you. We do agree on that. <laughs> So Seth is getting beat up. Luke resurfaces after probably cheating on Marissa um, and wants to fight Ryan. They get into a thing. It's a pretty iconic fight. That's where we get the line, welcome to the OC, bitch. And Seth and Ryan, I guess, are bonded by that moment because they both got their ass kicked by the water polo team. What I was going to say is I feel like I kind of missed out on that important aspect of growing up. And I've never bonded with one of my friends after both getting beaten up on a beach. Because I feel like, as we see in this show, that it really forged a strong bond between Seth and Ryan. It made Seth completely forget about the whole thing with Summer, like, immediately. So it makes me wonder if that's what my friendships are lacking. And also, Ryan, sometime later this week, do you want to go and pick a fight um, at Kong's Tavern with me so we can get closer and bond? Dude, let's become BFFs by getting our asses kicked <laughs> by the water polo team. That's how we're going to do it. Because they immediately, they're just home immediately. Like the next scene is them walking back in the pool house. I'm like, how did they get home? Uber did not exist back then. Did someone give them a ride? I'm very confused about this. Uh, they end up back at home. They're back in the pool house. Seth and Ryan bond over the fact that they had this big fight. Uh, Ryan goes out to smoke a cigarette again. And yet another part of the house that we never see again, which is some weird second story balcony that's not at all attached to the pool house. It's like part of the main house. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, Marissa gets dropped off, quote unquote. Summer and Holly just ditch her in the yard, um, which I feel like is not a cool move when Summer's your best friend. Like if your best friend just dumps you in the yard, that's kind of shitty. And she was passed out comatose. That was, that was not just like someone's being dumb and drunk. Like literally she was like comatose and they just like left her in the front driveway. Like that's terrible. So Ryan walks over, he picks her up. This is a recurring motif in the show. It actually says that in my notes. It says the first of the Ryan Atwood carries. 
it's an important scene and something that pops up throughout the series. So it's, uh, you know, good to take note of that. The very first episode, he lays her in the bed. Mm -hmm. uh, Seth passes out on like the weird couch cushions that they have. They kind of look like seat cushions that you put at a picnic table, but they're all stacked up into a, a couch formation. I don't understand that piece of furniture in the pool house, whatever. Ryan sleeps on the floor. Kirsten wakes them up the next morning. Kirsten's angry. She's pissed. Her son has never been drunk. He's never had a shiner on his face before. She, and all of this happened because Ryan's in their house. So she yells at a very hungover Seth, who admits to still being drunk. Um, tells Sandy that this Bold aggression move. will not stand and he needs to take Ryan back to Chino. But where has Sandy been, everybody? Sandy surfing is what I have on my notes. Sandy surfing with Sandy. his ginormous surfboard that's so much larger than any surfboard I've ever seen. Sand this is the first of the Sandy Dawn Patrol Cohen shots. Apparently, he always has a chance to go surf when he has a late court date or a late meeting. He goes to make sure to take advantage of the waves. And I knew in this moment that Sandy Cohen isn't just a bastion of wisdom, but also the coolest dad potentially um, in TV history. But I, so I had a question, this is going back a little bit, but this is something that's been bothering me since this is the pilot episode. I feel like a lot of these shots that we see, like specifically the shot of Ryan overlooking Marissa laying in Shavasana drunk. I feel like this is all like the pilot house. And, the, and they, they actually moved sets to go to a bigger, nicer house. But I could just be trying to give the show the benefit of the doubt. But, um, but I don't know. No, I believe that's true. I believe that the house that they, you see on the exterior that they always show is this house they show throughout the entire series. But the pilot episode scenes were actually filmed in that house. But then the rest of the series was filmed on a soundstage made to look like that house. Mm -hmm. Nice. I believe that's true. This is where Sandy and Kirsten get into an argument that I kind of, this is where I was like, I kind of agree with Kirsten here where uh, she's upset that about the Ryan went out with Seth and partied and they got beat up and they got drunk. And Sandy uh, says something along the lines of, well, at least he's hanging out with somebody and it's somebody that's not from here. And uh, Kirsten basically says he has a family, like he needs to go back to his family. And I agree with Kirsten in that scenario. There's a great Sandy or Kirsten line about it where she says, he has a family, Sandy. It's not up to you to decide if they're good enough. Yes, that's Which the line. Is that just right. a, yeah. Oh, it's a solid line, but it also really captures the Sandy Cohen kind of conundrum, which is, you know, he, he sees the best in people, but in that same way, he wants the best for people sometimes when they, it's not in their best interest to have stuff like that happen. But um, is this the first time after um, Seth goes inside, is this the first time we see his room? I have the same note. Actually, I have, for my next note is Ryan makes bacon, which is great. But yeah, this part, I wrote Seth's room and then I did the exact same thing that you did, which I've made notes of the posters that we saw on the walls of all the bands. They change. Yeah. Yeah, they change. The only one I could see was the Ramones. Did you guys see any more posters? I saw there? Sex Pistols, Black Flag, The National, The Hives, Ramones. Because oh, I don't whoa. think the Ben Folds one is up yet. Death Cab's not there yet. Ben Pull's not there yet. Adam and his package is not there yet. Um, so I guess an overriding theme when you take away from this pilot episode, they want you to know that Sandy is an idealist and a nonconformist and a much more progressive individual in Newport as a whole, as a culture, is this uber waspy, you know, it has a really big social scene. It's a lot of conservative people. And Kirsten is kind of the bridge between um, his ideals and the judging community that they've chosen to live in. So I think a lot of the conflicts that we see throughout um, has to do with just that 
stance in general. What do you guys think? I agree that he is like, he is your, your typical Jewish everyman. And uh, Kirsten is his kind of his filter to the Newport community. Like she gets to be the thing that he goes through to get to them. I agree as well. I've really, I really like their marriage and their relationship dynamic because they do what you always want a spouse to do and they balance each other. Um, I, and I, I feel like that's, you know, Sandy, we joke around that Sandy is kind of like the core of the show, but I really do feel like Sandy and Kirsten and that family unit is a very important part of the show, not just because it anchors Ryan into a place where, you know, he feels comfortable. Um, but, you know, in later seasons, when we see that family dynamic start to slip, we also see things slipping outside um, of that family unit. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And so I'm always, I, I stand that relationship for sure. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why some of those later seasons are so hard for me to get through, especially when Sandy starts, I'm not even going to go there. We're not going to go there right now. Yeah, like the adult, but, um, the adult drama in later seasons is so real. You're like, Oh God, it hurts. It made me so stressed as a high schooler watching. And I was like, wait, after I get through all this stuff, that's what I have to look forward to. And so I just decided to do nothing and just remain in my house. Um, <laughs> but thinking of Sandy's idealism, I think that's a perfect segue to kind of our end game in this episode, which is um, Sandy driving that 47 miles, uh, 47 minutes back to Chino with Ryan to drop him back off at the house. And, uh, you know, Ryan is like, no, I, you know, Stay in your car, Sandy. I'll take it from here. And we see, well, we see Marissa. We see Marissa again in the driveway. She's just always there. That the driveway is her home. She stays there. Um, yeah, with that beautiful, that iconic shot with the sun behind her, and you know, Ryan looking back, and then you know, potentially never returning. But lo and behold, uh, he walks into the house, and it's gone. It's empty. It's safe to say Don Atwood won't be getting her security deposit back because it's filthy. <laughs> and um, then we have this nice little scene where Sandy uh, says, "Let's go. Let's get back in the car." And, um, and that's the end of our first episode. But the big question that I had, which is why I just said all of that stuff, is pilots are supposed to be small and self-contained shows in and of themselves, just in case a show's canceled. Do you feel like that episode succeeded as a pilot? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, told, it told a story, but obviously it, it frames what's going to happen for the whole series. Like, obviously, you know, Ryan is going to be with the Coens. That's where this is building to. And I think that it makes that very clear, but you automatically connected to characters pretty quickly. I think no one left that show, you know, not knowing that Sandy and Kirsten and Seth were awesome and you were going to fall in love with them. But, you know, it set up the storyline with Jimmy um, it set up the storyline uh, to come with Summer. Uh, you knew that Luke and Ryan were going to have some problems in the future. I think it did a good job uh, establishing what was going on, but also leaving a lot of questions to be answered. I didn't know who you meant when you said Jimmy, but you were referring to American uh, heartthrob Tate Donovan. <laughs> okay, sorry, Ryan, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it, it did a really good job just like building the world. Like, you, It's a world that you want to explore more. It's a world full of people that you want to see again. And uh, I mean, it's a world that obviously it was good enough to get picked up as an actual TV show, but also was a world that led to the creation of shows like Laguna Beach and The Hills and things like that, that people wanted more of. It, basically, any show that you see on CW kind of follows that format. You think about it. This was one of the first shows that really incorporated both the adult storyline and the kids storyline very, very seamlessly. 
whenever they uh, did it in previous things, like I know they did a little bit in Beverly Hills, 90210 and stuff like that. It always seemed like such a novelty and kind of a sh like a treat rather than the foundation of the show. So that's the episode. That's episode one. That's the pilot episode of the OC. We have, we have officially jumped off. We, we are on the path towards uh, Newport living. <gasps> yes. Good job, guys. I'm proud of us. We thoroughly recapped episode one. We'll be back next week. We will be doing episodes two, three, and four, which include model homes and cotillions and fires and just all, all, all sorts of great things. A lot more of Holly's beach house. Good job, Chelsea. Good job, Dylan. So yeah, that's it. Episode one, pilot in the books. We'll see you next week for the next three episodes of the OC. I hope you watch them. I hope you enjoy this and have a beautiful night. Welcome to the OC, bitch. Mm -hmm.